Let's pray together. Oh, great God, we come before you and we recognize and we even declare that you are infinitely glorious. And you are so kind to us. Your grace is so good. And we come exalting you and we come recognizing that apart from you, all of us would be lost and undone. And we would not know the way. But we come thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ, that through Christ he is the way and the truth and the life. And in him, we have life and life forever. And so we come in view of this glorious gospel because you are the one who is behind this glorious gospel. And we rejoice in it. And so help us, Lord, this morning wherever we are, whatever we do, whoever we are, help us to come as servants of the Lord of glory this morning. May you help us that as servants we would serve and we would be ready to serve you with all our hearts, ready to hear your word and ready to take it and to bring it and apply it to our lives, ready to go and to declare the word of the gospel, this only word of hope in the midst of so many false hopes in our world. May you help us, Lord, to wonder at this gospel anew that each Lord's day our hearts would soar as we glory in Christ and what he has done for us. And so help us, we pray. Be with us. Indeed, as we just sang, we look to you You are our deliverer. And so help us as we go to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 8. And we'll be continuing our study walking through the book of Esther. We'll be walking and looking through the entirety of the chapter this morning. Now, there are levels of emotions and affections that are right to have, and that would even be wrong for us or for you and for me not to have them. So in other words, sometimes as we go through life, we can begin raising certain things above what, where we should place them. We begin saying this is a higher priority when it really isn't, or we begin saying this is a lower priority when it really is not. And so we can get all these things as we walk through this life, and we can get all these emotions and affections all jumbled up. We begin making those lower priorities the highest of priorities. Or the highest priorities, we begin basically almost and perhaps even ignoring them altogether. So, for example, it's good and right even 
I would say, for you to be passionate, or at least like, to do what you do, you know, or your work, your job, or whatever it be, you like doing what you do, but if it begins then to become the highest, or even one of the highest or higher priorities above other things that are higher priorities, that is not good. Even though it's good to enjoy and even to delight in what you do, it's not good to make it higher than the highest priorities. And this is often what happens with what we put our hands to. It can begin to snuff out other things that are much more important because we're, we're doing this day after day. We think, well, this has got to be then what I just give my life over to. And so other things like time for your spouse, gone. Or time for your family, gone. Or time for God, gone. And we see this in our passions, our affections, our emotions, our heart. And we see that when our hearts turn that way and they begin lifting things that should not be that high, high, they are our emotions, our affections, our passions, our desires. They are misdirected and they are being misappropriated. And that's not good. And if we don't know this yet, it even can be some of the smallest of things. It doesn't have to be those things that consume a lot of time in our life. It might be that you, like me, like ice cream, which I unashamedly enjoy regularly. But if you begin eating ice cream, like every few hours, every single day, And then maybe you go and start selling your car and maybe other things to get ice cream. Well, that's not good. And maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you're doing that right now. Well, it's not good if that's the way that you're treating ice cream. And so it can be big, lofty things, or it could be exaggerated a bit, but It could be something like ice cream. Now, in other cases, kind of go in the opposite direction. You know, we can desire things a lot and enjoy them, but then on the other side of that, having no desire or no passion or no affections or no heart can be just as jumbled up, right? We can become this way with so many things. That ought not to be this way, where we we should be exploding with heart and affections and love. We just aren't. And this can be the way it can be with God. We come to another Lord's Day like this one, and we just simply shrug. Yeah, I'm here. (laughs) I made it. But so what? I mean, this Christianity thing, it's just a part of my life. I mean, other than that, I don't care. So what? 
That would be grievous. And that is grievous. No desire, no passion, no affections, no heart. That's not the way the Lord wants you to come before him on the Lord's day. Or, in another way, if you even look at some of the evil things that have happened recently, like the shooting of 19 children and two adults at Robb Elementary, and you see that and you just look at it and you say, well, there have been a lot of shootings these last couple of years, and you just kind of shrug and say, oh, well. And there's no dismay. There's no shock. There's no grief. Well, let me say that that is not the right response. <laughs> a shrug simply will not do. And if that is happening on any of these levels, it's not okay, and there's something wrong there in your heart, in my heart. Whereas we've been seeing in Esther, you know, the plot to kill and to wipe out all Jews is certainly not a call to just simply shrug, you know. Oh, well. But it is a call for intense, passionate, wise response. And that's part of what we've been seeing of these last few chapters. With our chapter this morning, as we come to it here, we would be right to examine our own hearts and our own affections and our own desires and to ask ourselves at the beginning whether our affections and our desires and our heart, if these things are being rightly appropriated, if we're putting the highest priorities, our heart, and fixing our heart and our desires and affections upon those things, or maybe something else, even as small as ice cream. And so we see here, with Esther's response, that her response was certainly right. It was a right appropriation of affections, desire, and passion, as we will see. And so let's see this then, beginning with Esther chapter 8, verse 1. May God bless the reading of his true word this morning. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther sent Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king, and she fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. And when the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king, and she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, 
And if the king set, seems right, this thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are all, who are all in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? And then, then King Azra said to King Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, Sivan, on the 23rd day, and an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps, to the governors, and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to each province in its own script, and to each people in its own language, and also to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote it in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. And then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any force of any people who, or province that might attack them, children and women included. And then plunder the goods. And on one day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples. And the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. And so the couriers, mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service, rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, And the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the people, peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Amen. Now as we come to Esther chapter 8, I think for most of us, very likely, up to this point, we have thought that the main thrusts of the story are over. (laughs) You know, the big moments are done. You know, all those kind of key things that we, we remember about the book of Esther. You know, we, all those pivotal moments where we're just like, ooh, and all over these things that happen with Esther and everyone else, and Mordecai. 
But here, as we come to the story of Esther, we need to see that we're not dealing here with some movie with special effects and these heightened moments or simply an entertaining sort of story. We're looking at and we are studying the Word of God. And so what we're dealing with here is not simply a story to entertain, though it does that. There's humor, and we've seen the humor in the story even. And there's intensity, there's you know, wonder, like what's going to happen next? But these were real events. This was real life. This is God's revelation. And what we see here at this moment in Esther chapter 8 is that the story is not over yet. The story isn't over yet. Now, what do I mean? You might ask. You might be saying, well, okay, well, I mean, Haman's gone. I mean, we're good, right? I mean, that that was a big deal. You know, Esther, she took her stance, and the king favored her. You know, I think we're all good now, right? Well, kind of. (laughs) I mean... I mean, you're right, Haman is gone, but at this point, he's not the primary problem. The primary problem is what Haman did. Now, what did he do? Well, he initiated, back in chapter 3, a plot that would mean the extermination of the Jews, every single one. And we saw all that back in Esther Esther chapter 3. So in Esther chapter 4 then, Mordecai and all the Jews, they rightly respond with intensity of passion, with a, a right appropriate response in view of such an evil decree. And what did they do? They cried out in dismay. They got on their faces They got in sackcloth, and they were broken, and that is certainly a right response. And that plot initiated back in chapter 3, at this point, in Esther chapter 8, has not been resolved. It is still in play. After everything else, yes, Haman's gone, But there is still a massive, massive problem. And so today, we kind of have part one of the resolution to that problem with chapter 8. And then with chapter 9, we have part two of that resolution. And so part one today begins with an incredible promotion. An incredible promotion. Now just to magnify how astonishing this promotion is, If you'll remember, it wasn't all that long ago that really the name of Mordecai was little known to completely unknown, right? I mean, we don't really know how well-known Mordecai was, but very likely he wasn't known hardly at all, perhaps, I mean, certainly not beyond Susa, and very little within Susa. And he had saved the king's life, but all of that was forgotten. And so he was just a nobody, right? And yet here, 
we see this once unknown man is now second to the king of Persia. Incredible, right? I mean, like, this guy wasn't even known, and now he's, he's second to the king. I mean, how in the world did that happen? Well, if you've even been paying attention in this service, you'll know that this was not the first time something like this happened. You recall the passage that Jared read a moment ago from Genesis 41. And what happened there? This unknown man named Joseph, he's sold into slavery, put in prison, and now, or then, he was made second to Pharaoh, given the signet ring, and adorned with fine clothing. And so we see that exactly, if not this, you put them side by side, these parallel biblical pictures with Mordecai, and the same thing happening here with him also. And so we have these massive biblical signals here saying that what is happening here is something that the Lord has done. This isn't the the working of a human hand. This is the working of the mighty and the glorious and the powerful God. And God, he is in the business of doing things like this. I mean, what seems impossible again and again throughout history, when everyone else is saying, oh no, there's nothing that can be done about that, What happens? God does it. No one can stand against his plans and purposes. If you haven't figured that out yet in this point in Esther, well, may you hear it now. It is God's plans and purposes that will not fail. No matter how loud the voices are that surround us, It's his plan and will that will be. And so after this providential promotion, we have an impassioned plea in verses 3 through 8. So if you thought all of it was over, you don't really know, like after chapter 7, you just kind of don't really know what happens in Esther chapter 8 and 9 and 10. Well, if you don't know what happens next, and you maybe thought that it was all over, well, for Esther here... It surely isn't. And so she rightly responds by pleading with the king, falling down before him and asking him to hear her. And so in verse 3, it says, She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman, the Agagite, and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. So if risking once wasn't enough, she goes right in and she risks again. And the king, in God's providence and grace, shows her favor again and extends the golden scepter. And this time she asks the king for an edict to go against the previous edict given by Haman. 
I find it just instructive here that this is not about her. It's about her people. She, has, she is a different Esther than we saw earlier. She has laid herself aside entirely, and I just find that, and I see that for myself, and I say, Lord, I want that in me. You know, I mean, God doesn't, he doesn't say throw out, throw out your personality and throw out who you are. I mean, we see that throughout Scripture with every single person in the Bible. God uses them and their personalities. He sanctifies them. So it's not talking about that, and that's not what she's doing here. But she's laying herself aside entirely for God's purposes. And I just say to that, and I see from that, and I say, Lord, I want that. I want my life to ring like that here as your pastor or in whatever I do as a parent, as a husband, or taking care of my home or going on missions or whatever it be. I just want to lay myself aside entirely and deny myself and take up the cross and follow Christ. Amen. And so I say, oh, that we would come to such a point as this. That you would come to such a point as this, that your life is not about you. It's about the Lord. Because he's precious to you and you love him. It's not about legalism or some set of rules you're trying to, to fulfill so you can gain God's favor and his kingdom. It's because he saved you already. You're his. And you say, Lord, your will be done with my life. And so we see then here that she gains the king's hearing. And he gives them the favor of God seen here. He gives them full allowance to write an edict in his name. And so she had a passion. She had an intensity. She had affections. And she had a response that was appropriate to the matter at hand. And this gets us back to where we began this morning in this message. But we need to ask of ourselves, what of us? What of you? And so a few questions for you here along these lines. And the first one is this. Are you appropriately responding before the God who made you this morning? Are you appropriately responding to the God who made you right now? now? This is a question for all of us. Here we are, Lord's Day, studying God's Word, dealing with Him and the lofty things of God, Yet are we treating the Lord and his word as though it's just another Sunday? We're treating this moment as though I'd rather really be anywhere else than here. I would, in fact, rather be eating ice cream. You mentioned that a moment ago. You got me thinking about it. And I'd rather be doing that than being here and hearing the word of God. Friends, has your heart cooled 
towards the God who made you. God is not a side note or to be a side note in your life. You were made for him. In your heart, as Augustine says or said, your heart is restless until I find rest in thee. And so you will be restless, friend. All your efforts, as what C.T. Studd said, all we do in this life will pass, but only what we do for Christ will last. So all that work you're doing, it does not matter a lick if you're doing it only for yourself, if the things of God mean nothing to you, if God means nothing to you, and if that's true, I plead with you to examine yourself and test yourself and see whether you are in the faith. As Paul says in Corinthians for us to do. And so you were made for him. And let me ask you, are you living that way? Do we live like the things of God are common to us? Well, I pray, and I pray this for myself, because I see that tendency in my own heart as I prepare to preach or prepare and study the word of God week after week just to say and to get these things and to go and dive into these deep things and just to kind of let it be a rhythm, a thing that you do. And it becomes common. And my prayer is that God may produce in us, in you, in me, hearts that never cool. They never go about living. We don't go about living our lives as though the things of God are common because they are never, ever common. As we meet here right now, this is the most important thing going on in the world. It's not sleeping in or staying home and I'm tired, I can't make it. I understand all those things. But friend, there's nothing more important going on in your life than this. I pray that our passion for him and his word and the gospel never dims or flickers out. Which I'm afraid maybe for some of us or maybe even many of us, that's what's going on. It's just another Sunday. You quit it, preacher. <laughs> I'm just going to go home and act like this stuff is all secondary again. My prayer is that we would not leave here this morning like that. And so that's the first question. What we see here, Esther's passion was right. Her people were on the precipice of death. Well, second then... In our day, right now, do we have a passion? Second question, do we have a passion like this for the lost? Do we have a passion like this for the lost? You know, I soon plan on giving a report, whether in writing or a next business meeting, I don't know, I haven't decided yet, but a report on our time at the SBC convention, you know, two weeks ago now, I guess. But one thing, as we went there, that was apparent that I can say right now from our time in California specifically was the need for the gospel 
as we're interacting with the people in California, as we're seeing Los Angeles, as we're driving around, interacting with our waiters and waitresses, as we're talking to various people, we see and we saw firsthand that the need for the gospel is immensely, immensely great there. And a wrong response would simply be to shrug it off and say, yeah, so what? Whatever. You keep those Californians in California. Which I think many of us may have well said. I pray another prayer of mine that the Lord would help us. I mean, how hard our hearts are towards so many. How we just put people aside and we say, well, no, they are Democrats. Oh, they are liberal. Oh, they are Californians. Oh, they are poor. Oh, they are this or that or something else. And we just harden our hearts to them and say, no, I'm not going to share the gospel with someone like that. That's not something I'll do. Someone else can do it. But as for me, in my house, we will serve my kingdom and plans and purposes. So where is our passion and our grief for the lost? It may well be, and I'm not saying in the abstract here, I really don't mean that any Sunday. Like I don't mean anything in the abstract as I'm trying to preach to you. It may well be that God is calling you not to stay here, but to go and serve him somewhere else. To serve him on the mission field. To move somewhere and work there for the sake of the gospel. You know that where you are right now, that is why God has you here. Where you're working right now, he has you there for the sake of the gospel. Jesus, he did not say, make disciples of all that you're comfortable with. Make disciples in all those places that cost you absolutely nothing. No, but what did he say? All nations. All people. Ethne. Everywhere. That's who you share the gospel with. No one is left out. So he may be calling you to go or he may be calling you to stay. And very likely that's many of you, but in both we are to go. You are called to go here. You are called to go there. You are called to go everywhere as the hymn rings out as we sing it. Rescue the perishing Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep over the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. So, like Esther... I want to exhort us to be ready to risk again. That's what Esther did. Once was not all that was needed 
she risked, and then she risked again, and then she risked again. You know, I love new believers for this. <laughs> you know, I, new believers, they are just so often on fire and they're just ready to go anywhere. You know, like you tell me what that person doesn't know, Lord, we're going there. I don't care, gangs. Yeah, so what? You know, dangerous? Oh, I'm going. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, they're ready to go. You tell me where the gospel's needed. I'm going there. Well, maybe that was once you, where you were saying that, and you had that heart. And I would just ask us, ask you, what happened to that? And I want to encourage you, by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, in view of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, light the fire again and keep throwing wood on it that it may not ever go out again. May that be every single one of us. Lord, help us. So be ready to risk again and be ready to go on until the very end. Esther did that. She kept going. She didn't stop and say, well, you know, that was a good thing that I did there going to the king. I mean, did you see how bold I was? I mean, I was, I was the only one, you know. I was the only one who could have done that. And see how I went there and he received me? You know, and, you know, I think that was good enough. I think I'll stop now. I mean, that required a lot for me. And so I got most of the way. I think I'm done now. Now, that's silly. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's a silly way of putting it, but that's often the way that we live. I mean, what if a runner was running and winning the race, you know, going along, maybe he's in the Olympics, and he says to himself, or, you know, or herself, oh, you know, I sure did work hard throughout this race. I ran long. You know, I sweat a lot. As I was going, I mean, everybody saw it as dripping and, and all that stuff. I mean, they saw it flicking around as I'm running. But I'm tired right now, you know. I'm ahead of everybody else. I think I'll just stop right here. I'll end right now. Now, what would you call that person? <laughs> would you say they're wise? Would you even say good job? Not at all. We wouldn't think that person's wise. We would think they're a fool. What are you doing? You were ahead of everyone else. Why did you stop? And so that will not do. You and I are meant to keep going. We are facing a task that is unfinished. Your discipleship is not finished. The Great Commission is not finished. Keep going. And you may ask, until when? Well, until you see the Lord face to face. That's when. Until we are there with Him in glory. 
Keep going, keep risking, keep sharing. Keep stirring on your love for the Lord and for the gospel. And so the story isn't over yet for us, and neither is it here. So they are given full authority, Esther and Mordecai, and really specifically Mordecai, by the king. And so Mordecai, he writes a new edict, a new edict. Verses 9 through 17. It was a new edict. And it was also an urgent edict. An urgent edict. Now, if you were the Jews, just put yourself in their shoes. There's a decree of death over you. You are going to die very soon. <laughs> People everywhere are going to arise against you and kill you. And your children your wife, everyone. doesn't matter the age. Your baby, your four-year-old, all of them. I just want you to get the perspective here. This is what was going to happen to you. So if you're one of them, how urgent would this edict be? <laughs> would you want, like, why don't you wait a few days? I don't think so, right? You would want it to go out absolutely as fast as is reasonably possible. I mean, people's lives were on the line. Well, this is exactly then how Mordecai treats it. It's urgent and action must be taken. And so he takes the best horses that were used in the king's service, so essentially the royal race horses, and he has this edict sent out hastily. Now, as he does this, though, this edict, it couldn't just be anything. It had to be a shrewd edict, a shrewd edict as well. Now, if you've been tracking with the story so far, Esther 1 through now, you'll remember that a kingly edict was what? It was irrevocable. We see it here in verse 8. So how does this work then? Like irrevocable until like a new edict is written? Well, not quite. I mean, it may have worked that way in some ways, but no, if an edict was written, it is irrevocable. So that last one that Haman did, irrevocable. And so this edict, it was a new and a different edict. This edict, as we see in verses 11 through 12, it allowed for the Jews to defend themselves it didn't say, no, the old edict is gone. So that's not the way you need to be thinking about this. This is not what this edict says. In verses 11 through 12, this is allowing for the Jews to defend themselves against all their enemies, against all those who are going to rise up against them on the 13th day of Adar with murder in their hearts, aiming to exterminate every single last one of them. And so upon hearing this edict then, how would you respond? <laughs> what would be an appropriate, rightful, affectionate response on your part? Well, without a doubt, 
at hearing this, there was a reason to rejoice. It was good news. And we see this is exactly the opposite response of what we saw earlier. This was not a time for them to fall on their faces in sackcloth and ashes and dismay. But this is a time for rejoicing. And so the edict makes a way, without undoing the previous one, for the Jews to defend themselves. And the Jews here, as David writes in the Psalms, they are they're rejoicing. And in Psalm 30, it says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. And that's what they are here. Praise the Lord. They are echoing out as they see these things. Well, this past Friday was that for me, and very likely for you as well, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. I find it providential that as we are going through the book of Esther, we see parallels here to exactly what is happening in our day. What seemed impossible has happened. (laughs) June 24th, 2022 will live on for us to be a day of praise and glory to our great God. And I pray it will live on that way. Yes, we will need to be ready for all variety of difficult situations and things that we will need to address. We will need to be there in ways that the church has not perhaps been there, but they have at the same time. We have labored for adoption. We've labored for foster care. We've labored for all sorts of things, but we need to do that all the more. But with June 24th, 2022, it is certainly right that our response is one of rejoicing, of gladness, of our taking off sackcloth and clothed with being clothed with gladness. He formed those children in the room, womb, and they are precious in his sight. And so this is certainly a time of rejoicing. Amen. And so this Lord's Day, rejoice. Rejoice in what the Lord has done. Amen. How many millions have died already? And so we rejoice this Lord's Day. Now as good news, as this edict here in Esther chapter 8 was, which it was, we have greater reason to rejoice than they did. Now their news was good. (laughs) It would soon mean the deliverance of the people, but that news was intended ultimately to point to the news that we have right now this Sunday. And this news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the best news in all of the world. Talking about appropriate responses, 
I wonder what you think of this news, of this gospel. Is your response, your life pervasive with a response appropriate to this glorious gospel, to the God-man coming to bring you out of darkness and into light? This, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the ultimate purpose of their deliverance. And this is why, as Luke reports to us, as Jesus walks along the road to Emmaus with his disciples, he says, even of Esther, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's what Esther is doing. It's pointing you to the greatest deliverer of all. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. So do you know him this morning? I'm not talking about knowing about him this morning, but do you know him this morning? He came and lived and died on the cross. He rose again and he ascended to the right hand, the throne of the Father, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that could, and I pray it would, be you this morning. The verdict, perhaps like the Jews here, the verdict over you is death, yet life is available to you even now. You don't need to go searching the world for it. You don't, it's not found in traveling the world and searching without end and looking at this philosophy and looking at this religion and looking at this and that. It is found in and through Christ alone today. And he can save you today. Now, if you are here, and if you know Christ today, we are to have a passion fitting to him. Not so that you might be saved, but because you are saved. The joy, the life, the waters flowing from within you, they arise from him. And if you know him this morning, similar to Esther, we have an urgent message also. In view of this message, a message that is urgent, a message that requires much haste. May it move you, may it move me to haste, to train, to grow, to learn this message, to become equipped, to aim and to be ready to tell this message to any and to all people everywhere. So let me ask you, how are you readying yourself? How are you equipping yourself? How are you aiming to be ready to share this gospel with any and all people? 
When I became a believer in the Lord, I prayed that God would help me. I don't care what I have to learn. I don't care. I'm not talking about just like being like a big mind and knowledge like that. What I wanted is, Lord, help me to be able to share the gospel with anybody. Muslim, Mormon, Jehovah Witness, Catholic, Hindu, atheist, whoever, you name it, Lord, prepare me and let me ask you, do you have that kind of heart? I'm not saying I'm better than you, but I'm saying that that heart is to be ours. Do everything you can to be ready to share the gospel with anybody you can. Be equipped. Train yourself. Are you ready to share this great news? Now you might say, or the devil might even tempt you to say to all of this, but that's too much. You're a pastor. (laughs) You do all that. It's not for me. I'm not called to the ministry. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a missionary. I would argue with you on that point. As I heard years ago that, you know, I'm a missionary cleverly disguised as an engineer in Huntsville, Alabama. (laughs) Because you are. You might say, well, that's too much for me to do all that. Well, You might say, well, I'll learn much from my job. I'll learn about my job. I'll learn about taking care of my home, mowing my yard, painting. I'll learn about my favorite sports teams. I'll know all their names. I'll know how many wins they have. I'll study the news and politics. I'll know every single person in every single uh, state, and I'll be able to know all their names, what they're doing, and I'll, I'll go to the latest movie. I'll know all the actors' names. I'll know all the plot twists and everything else. I'll labor and I'll stress over planning a vacation, yet aiming to be equipped as a disciple to grow and to become more like Christ, to go and make disciples. I don't have time for that. I didn't sign up for that. Friend, if you profess to know the Lord, you did. You did. More important than any one of those things is your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one who is precious to you above anything or anyone else. So do you see him as that? And will you labor for these things in view of such an urgent message, in view of the one that you love and are living for? It could be that you're saying, yeah, I know Esther risked a lot, but that's too much. The risk is too great. Friends, how quickly we get all jumbled up. (laughs) Don't we really risk a lot every single day? You just think about it. I mean, don't you get in your car? I mean, I used to work at an auto auction place. And not to be too gruesome with you, but I saw many, many wrecks. And I saw many pieces of people in cars. So if you think there's not risk in driving, 
you risk every single day when you get in your vehicle or when you get on a plane (laughs) or when you go on a cruise or when you travel the world and back. And yet, will we not risk our life for that which is worthy of all of our risk, all risk and even worthy of our life? So will you risk your life for something truly worthy of your life? Will you give over your life to the gospel this morning without caveat, without qualification, without condition, without stipulation, and without anything else? I don't care what anybody else is doing. I, you, I will follow Jesus Christ. So I hope you will. I hope you will follow him. I hope we will. So may we. May we let our message go out passionately, urgently, joyfully, as those who unashamedly follow Christ. Amen. Why? Because... Our Lord is worthy. Our greatest passions, our greatest affections, our greatest love, and everything. Let's pray. Father, we pray for you to help us we ask that you would not look at others, not look at other churches, unless other churches have this heart. And I think many do. May we say right now this morning that we will be that. I will follow you. I will risk. I will go. I will love you more and more because you are the love of my life above anybody in my life. May that be our heart. May you help us, Lord, respond to your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name.